to 2 Samuel um, 23. We're gonna um, we're just gonna pick up in 23 tonight, you guys. I want to finish Samuel. We have a little bit that we didn't cover verse by verse. We we kind of topically covered some of this last section, but um, we're gonna walk through this um, in chapter 23. Um, the highlight there is David's last words. And, you know, we always put emphasis right on somebody's last words. It's like in the movies when the guy's dying and he, uh, he's breathing out like his last sentence. And it's really the most important thing he's ever said in his life. We know that Jesus in, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, that's the last um, recorded words of Jesus. Those words were recorded um, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he began to pray and then got arrested um, late at night and by 9 o'clock the next morning was on the cross. And so we have Jesus um, in, in, John, in John 13. In John 13, they're in the upper room. And John 14 is, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. John 15, abide in Christ. Jesus is talking about joy. So we, we see these are Jesus' last words to his disciples. So we, we hang on to them a little bit closer. These are um, David's last words to his son and to us. And then a little recorded history of what we call the uh, mighty men of David. Psalm 22, or I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 22 is actually a psalm. Um, so we're just going to pick it up in, in chapter 23. And it says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, one of the things that, that um, you know, I, I will point out about David all the time is that, you know, David was, um, he was a king. He was a leader. And a lot of his, um, who David is, is he's Christ-like. He's, 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 he's the, the great, 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 I'll spare you the rest of the great grandfather of Jesus Christ himself. And so J David, as a leader, almost as a pastor type, as a as a king, which which represents um, Jesus himself, you know, and that David's a type of Jesus. And David had so many amazing qualities. David was um, we, we went through the list of things that David were. One of the things we point out about King David is that he you know, most most men, most of us men, we kind of self identify right in a couple different categories, but usually not across the board. You know, when I was when we're in high school it's a little more directed, right? In high school, for me anyways, it was, you kind of identified as a jock or, you know, as a, as a, you know, bookworm or as a, you know, there was a couple categories you kind of fit into. And then before that, what was it? The Greasers and the Socias? What was that? That was a good movie. The Grease, not, well, not, not John Travolta, but the other one, The Outsiders, The Greasers and the Socias. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you tend to fit in a certain category, but King David was a greaser and a soch. He was a jock and a nerd. He was um, a musician and an actor. And, and David was a warrior. And in every category of life, David was super talented in, in all these areas. He was a leader of men. He, he, was, he was a poet. He was, he was a chef. He was a, he was a psalmist. He was a musician. He was the most talented musician that the Bible records for us. Of all the musicians in the Bible, King David was the one who who was the most talented. If you have time to practice all those instruments that David would play, it seems like you'd hardly have time to, to, to hone your skill as a swordsman and as a fighter and as a warrior. And yet David was, was a, a accomplished warrior with sword and spear and arrow. And, and, and he's, he, he went after Goliath. 
he wrote psalms. He was an actor, and you guys remember the story when he was in Goliath country, and he had to he had to pretend he was somebody else, and he let spit run down his beard, and he he, he pretended as if he was crazy, and and everybody bought it, and um, and on and on. But the thing is, of all those categories that David is as a as a warrior and a poet and a musician and a an author, a writer. He identifies here as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I think today if we're describing King David or if we're mentioning King David, I think of being in Israel when um, King David is very famous in Israel and the holy sites that we visit, we often visit, we visit his house and the places and the things around the country where David was in the cave and where David did this. And we, we really, a big, big part of, of our Holy Land tours is um, following the life of David. And, and to, to identify, for us to identify David as the sweet psalmist of Israel, because that's how he identifies himself. Speaking of Israel, don't let me forget where I was. But let me just tell you guys, um, it's a little spoiler alert, but we'll, because um, we'll have the brochures out probably in a couple weeks. And it's way, way far away, so you guys can start saving. But we've set our next Israel trip. And it is the, um, it's going to be one of the best trips we've ever done. It's the least expensive trip we've ever done. And so we had a vision this year to do, we, we always sell... Um, Cadillac trips to Israel, and so you know our trips are always six, seven, eight hundred dollars more than maybe some other places you could find a trip. And um, but you get six, seven, eight hundred dollars worth more of stuff, and and we stay in the nicest hotels and we do all this stuff. That's just the way we sell our trips, the way we've, we've done it. We've done so. But I was telling Dad, um, can we do? Can we schedule um, coming up an economy trip? So anyways, he said we could, and the trip we sold last year was forty five hundred per person. And this trip is $3,000 a person. So for what we took two last year, you could take three people this year. So um, if you've never been to Israel before, you'll be none the wiser, I promise, that you won't know you're not staying in the Scotts Hotel, that you're in the Dan Panorama. But, um, but it'll be an amazing trip. The, the, the events that we put together, you know, and with Dad's experience, he's been to Israel so many times that um, he knows which to skip and where to go and how to do the tour and we've been working for weeks back and forth, back and forth with our, with our tour guide on refining what we want to do on what day. And, and so this week we had like a two-hour conference call this week, and we got it finalized. And so it's February 21. That's, that's quite a ways away. What are we in right now? Um, so May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February 2020. So that's 12 plus 9, 21 months away, right? Is that right? Did I do the math right? So that's, um, that's roughly a couple hundred bucks a month, okay? If you start saving right now a couple hundred bucks a month, you can, you can go. And this is definitely the, the trip that, that will sell out fast. And so once we start um, advertising it, putting it out, if you're serious, if you want to go to Israel, um, this is the, the trip to go on. It's an, it's, like I said, it's a great tour. Um, it's, it's, we're going to get, the only, the only difference is, like I said, we probably won't stay in the, all the touring and all the stuff that you see is all the same. Okay. So February 21, um, lots of time, but don't, don't think, oh, that's far off. I'll think about it later. Think about it now. And if you want to go to Israel, $3,000 way to go. Okay. You need a passport and you got time for that, but, um, all right. So back to King David, King David, um, as again, just the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, the thing about King David is that King David understood about himself that he was a man who failed. He committed adultery, committed murder, 
he's going to just here coming up in the next chapter he's going to commit one of the most egregious sins that david ever committed and after we saw him walk through the sin with bathsheba you'd think oh it can't get any worse than that well actually in david's heart in god's economy it does in this next chapter but you know when we get to elijah we're going to study the life of elijah you'll see elijah kind of like a a standalone where elijah was a man of power and a man of, of of no real weaknesses or or um, sins recorded of, of Elijah's life. But David obviously was not that guy. You know, and I think in, 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 as you look at the life of King David, and what we're going to see is, is, is if God put, you know, all these things that, I, that we talk about, we're going to see in the next chapter. One of the things that I stress to you guys that I want us to follow and keep your eyes on as we go through the Old Testament is the things in the Old Testament were, were physical. So when David fought Goliath, it was a real 10-foot human being with flesh and blood. Okay. In the New Testament, we give David credit. And we think, oh, man, David, is, he, he slew this giant. You know, what an, what an amazing guy, which is true. But I'll tell you, some of you have slayed giants just like Goliath in your life. And, and on this side of the cross, they're, they're not flesh and blood. They're spiritual battles. Some of you guys have faced some real giants in your life and come out victorious in faith and stepped out in faith. But we face on this side of the cross spiritual battles. And they faced physical battles. And one of the things about David, you see David as a leader of the country, of the nation, of men, of women. Of, and, and you see all these people that God put around him. Now, one of the things about David being and self-identifying as the sweet psalmist of Israel is that David doesn't really take credit in, in, in for all of the, the victories and all of the success and, and all the positive things about his own life. Because he understands, number one, that God did it all. And number two, that, that it was a team that, that God used for David to be successful. Again, not like Elijah, who we're going to see later. Elijah never had a team around him. Elijah never had men around him. Elijah had God, and he had some amazing miracles, and, and he walked with the Lord, and he kind of lived on an island. He was a unique character. But with David, these battles that he fought, these wars that were won, we're going to see a group of men who stood next to their king, and they loved their king, and they fought, and they did battle together. It reminds me kind of of the, the bride of Christ in the church today, really the local church, the, the church abroad, where you know, everybody in the church has a different function, but, but we fight together in this battle. And there's no victories in a church without the, the, the stories that we're going to see here of David's mighty men. You know, it's people praying. It's people doing ministry. It's, you know, people reaching out. It's, it's, it's everybody giving and working and collectively doing ministry together. And oftentimes, you know, the, the pastor or some of the leaders may get credit for some of the stuff that's going on. But really the reality is it's, it's the church that does those things. You know, last, remember, remember that story where David um, was, was sulking after Bathsheba and he stayed home and Joab goes down and he fights that battle and the battle's won. And he calls David and he says, David, come down and collect this crown. He said, you're the king, and if, and if I finish this battle, then I'm going to get the credit and all that. He said, come down and collect this crown. And David goes down, and the king is there. He's already captured. He's already delivered. And, and David takes the crown off of his head and puts it on his own head, and, and he receives the crown. But the work was already done. And, and, and so that, that's oftentimes the case. But, but David understands that, that even though the, the spotlight is on him, that, that it was a team. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a group of men that loved David that fought with their king, that, that he trained. He trained these guys. They learned how to fight under his hands. And so the sweet psalmist of Israel, and it says, um, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me by his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me who, who rules over men must be just. Now, 
you know, I didn't even add this to the, to the qualifications of King David, but check this out. You can add this to him. Jesus in Mark's gospel said of King David that King David spoke by the mouth of the Holy Spirit. David speaking by the mouth of the Holy Spirit said, sit, sit thou on my right hand. And, and so Jesus gives testimony that David was, was, was moved by the Holy Spirit as he spoke. Peter, in, in the epistles, when Peter is talking and giving testimony of King David, he, he calls him a prophet. And he said David was a prophet. He prophesied these things by the Holy Spirit. So, so to add to David's titles, we can add prophet and led of the Holy Spirit. And he, he mentions that here. And it says, um, he who rules men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And so the, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Who's the rock of Israel, capital R? Specifically, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is our rock. Jesus is the rock. Upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the rock that Jesus told Peter he was going to build the church on? You guys know this. I've taught this. You're just being shy, right? It was Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And upon this rock, that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, you, you can do a study. You know, I think I asked you guys last week, because last week is when we did the little blue letter um, Bible thing. And I had you guys work on that and figure that out in your concordance. Um, take your blue letter Bible out and on your concordance, type in the word rock in the Bible and do a word study on rock. It's fascinating. And you'll see that Jesus is the rock. He is our rock. And so here David says, and the word rock is capitalized in the middle of a sentence, right? So that's talking about God, talking about Jesus. The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Hey, what does it mean to have fear of God? Are we supposed to be afraid of God? <laughs> he'd be wise, right? Like, I'm pretty sure he turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. I, I'm pretty sure that, that when, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and, and Ananias walked in and lied to the Holy Spirit, he dropped over dead. And then when his wife walked in a couple hours later, and they carried his body off, and Peter said, the feet of the men who carried your husband off are on their way in, and they're going to carry you off. And she dropped dead. You know, I'm pretty sure that God rained down fire and, and, and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, um, but understand that, that, that our, our, our fear of God, listen, you know, um, in the movies sometimes, right? Like, um, I got to be careful because these are like old gangster movies, but um, they're old because I'm old, but Sonny was the, the gangster. And, and the concept is, you know, either you rule by love or by fear, right? Like, 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 you know, like either they love you or they fear you are the two ways that people will follow you. You know, in love, when love doesn't work, you, you know, you make them afraid of you. But with God, it's, it, it is true. But listen, it's, it's different, right? It's, it's not a, a, like a boogeyman afraid. But, but it is necessary and is important for each one of us to have a healthy respect and fear of God. God is an awesome God. God is, is an awesome God that is capable of you know, Jesus said, don't be afraid of men that can only harm your flesh, but God who decides where your soul goes for all of eternity. You know, when, 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 when I was a kid, I can remember, and it wasn't dad, it was mom, but it, it translates. You know, if, if, if my mom said, I want you home before the street lights get on and, and we're down the street and we're playing football in my neighbor's front yard, you know, and I'm just a kid and we're playing tackle football in the street. And we're having a good time. This is a true story. And, you know, it's getting dark, but I don't want to go home. And 
So I stay and we play football until long after I'm supposed to be home. And now I'm, I leave the football game and I start to walk home. And I'm not from a couple houses away. And as my house is getting closer, I'm starting to get some knots in my stomach. You know, I'm afraid of what, what's going to happen when I get home. <laughs> Someone's going to knock knocks on my head, right? So, um, but that, 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 right, that's, that's your parents. And, and I know they love me. I know my mom loves me. I know my, my family loves me. I know that they're not going to kill me and do something. But there's a healthy fear um, because I've disobeyed. And now I'm on my way home. And now I'm getting, you know, I'm getting ready to turn the doorknob. And I'm two hours late. And I have a healthy fear of what's going to happen. But this doesn't mean that I'm afraid that, you know, she's going to shoot me when I walk in the door or something ridiculous. And, and with God, it's the same way. The Bible says fear is the beginning of what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? You guys got to know that. But the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So you can't, you can't listen. You'll never have godly wisdom if you don't have a healthy fear of God. Okay? You'll, you'll never, if, listen, heaven and hell, and I teach this all the time, you guys, listen, heaven and hell, hell doesn't, for whatever reason, hell doesn't motivate people to walk with God. And, and, and they, we should be so afraid of the description of hell that, that we walk with God because we don't want to go to hell. But it doesn't work. For whatever reason, it just doesn't work because we practically can't envision it. We, we, we don't wrap our minds around it. We get tunnel vision. We only see today. We can never see long, long term. But there should be to some degree in each one of our hearts a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of, of what's going to happen to you in eternity. You know where that, where, where that fear becomes a reality in people's lives every time? On their deathbed. And people who have been terminally ill or people who are, who are dying, you know, the people that have been the most receptive to the gospel are, are people who, who are terminally ill and are dying. You know, you know where everybody wants to talk about the afterlife is at a funeral, you know, and then where the, where the conversation is open. But um, wisdom is that we, you know, we have that conversation now and not, not wait. But anyways, that, that healthy fear. And so having the... Um, healthy fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. And verse 4 says, And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, and morning with clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining. Although my house is not with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and my desire. He will not make it increase, but the sons of rebellion shall as the thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of the spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their places. And now we have a section called David's Mighty Men. Listen, I want to just tell you real quick, because the, you know, I think they're called the bean counters, you know, may bring this up. But there are um, some places in the Bible where there would be a seeming um, um, contradiction or where one, one story says 70,000 and another says 40,000. And so, um, you know, but with any kind of real research into any of those, those suspected errors, you can find there's an, there's a, there's an answer, there's a truth, there's a, something that, that, can, that can figure it out. I mean, the fact that the Bible is 66 books written over 2,000 years by 40 different authors, and there's not one error in the entire Bible and not one contradiction of, of any of it is, is so powerful in itself. Only a God could write a book like that, put a book like that together. But I'll just tell you because it will come up. Um, but these, these numbers and, and the, this story, and I, I want you, you probably should read it because it's interesting, but in First Chronicles, write that down, chapter 11, 
we have another account of these mighty men of David. And some of this, the numbers are recorded a little bit different. And they're all explainable and you can, you know, you can get in there and figure it out. The account in First Chronicles was recorded sometime later. This was recorded much earlier. Um, there's words in there where one says that, that there was 80,000 um, um, trained men and another place where there was 30,000 soldiers. And so it's two different categories where, again, some people might try to say that are looking. If you're looking, none of us would, would really care or notice that stuff. But for those that are looking, they may point that out. But it's it's in there. But First Chronicles chapter 11 is the, the ca- parallel account to this. Now it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Does your Bible say Hab, H-A-B? My Bible has a typo. That's a B with my glasses on. <laughs> they have. They have. Um, so I'm going to mess these names up. We're going to do our best. Joseph, Joseph, Bassabeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. Listen, when you go to Israel, it's not going to matter because none of they're going to pronounce any of these names like we pronounce them anyway. I can remember being in the airport and I was telling this Israeli gal about what we do. And I said, yeah, we're on a tour and we've done a bunch of and, then, and and I said, yeah, I was telling her something about Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And she's like, Tiberias, what's that? Where's that? And I was like, Tiberias, how do you not know what Tiberias is? And, and she's like, oh, in English, the words are pronounced totally different. We don't pronounce it. And she's speaking English, and we don't pronounce it that way. And so she couldn't figure out what I was talking about. So she asked somebody else, another Hebrew that was there, a Jewish person, and, and they're like, Tiberia. She's like, oh, Tiberia. So the way they pronounce Tiber- Tiberias in in Hebrew, is Tiberia, so it's totally different. Um, so the captains, he was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now, um, you know, this stuff is, is super unique. And I, and I want to point out to you guys again as we go through this. These are David's mighty men of war. Do you remember where these men came from? Do you remember David was exiled? David was, he was a leader from, from his birth. God had called him. He was also a shepherd. That's another category that, that we left out for David. You know, he, he was, as a young man, he was just a shepherd. And then, and then at 17, 16, 15 years old, he wasn't even a part of the army. His brothers were a part of the army, and, and they were fighting the Philistines. And David went to deliver cheese and, 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 and bread to his brothers. And when he got there, he heard this this. this giant Goliath on the other side blaspheming the Lord and his brothers knew the heart of David they're like get out of here well you're going to do something stupid and David said who who is this Philistine who defies the living God and David said I'll fight him and he goes into Saul's tent the king and the king says you can't find him you're just a boy and David says well I'm not going to fight him the Lord's going to fight him and so Saul, Saul says, okay. And what, what, what really breaks me up, what kills me about the, the story of David and Goliath, true story. Okay, these are not illustrations. These are not cartoons. This is real life events. And you have this young boy, 15 years old. Now you have other men in Israel who are mighty men, fighting men who were, who were accomplished in battle. And these men are afraid and they won't go fight Goliath. And they allowed David, a 15-year-old boy, which is sure suicide, to go and fight this giant. And, and while these men, one knee smotes the other, while they stand back and watch David go to, go, go to what, what I'm sure they assumed was his, was, his, was his death. 
when Saul gave him his, his armor, Saul said, okay, he took his armor off and he gave it to David. David put the helmet on and it fell down over his eyes and he couldn't see and it was flopping around and the stuff didn't fit. And David said, this stuff doesn't fit, I can't wear it. And he took, he took five smooth stones and his, and, his, and his slingshot, shepherd's slingshot, and he went to, to fight Goliath. But he understood something, that he wasn't fighting Goliath, that God was going to fight Goliath. And David just had to show up. That David had to show up, he had to step out in faith, he had to be obedient, and God would, would, would give the victory. And, and you know, one of the things that we see, again, is that, that we can trust the Lord. The whole, the whole theme of the Bible is that we can trust the Lord. And so David, who, who teaches us this amazing lesson that against all odds, he can trust the Lord. In every one of these stories that I'm going to read, listen, they are against um, impossible odds. The fact that the odds are impossible, that's not your problem. That's God's problem. I hope that's not blasphemous or disrespectful. I don't mean it that way to say that that's God's problem. That's just the truth. That's God's problem. Your problem is that when God calls you, that you're faithful, you show up, you step out in faith, and you trust the Lord. And that's what David did in this story of Goliath. Crazy story. In every one of these stories, I want, I want you to understand something. They're, they're, hard, to, they're hard to believe. They're, they're hard to flesh out for me personally, right? It says here that this guy killed 800 men. Now, he didn't have a gun. And I hate, I hate to even say this because it'll put thoughts in your head. Maybe, but it, it, listen, what, what do you think it practically would take for you to physically kill 800 men? This is like the jawbone of a donkey. This is Samson kind of stuff. What's that? Did I get the number wrong? So, um, I mean, even if they, they were like this, what if, they, what if somebody tied up their hands and feet and laid them out across the thing and you had to go through, it would take you two days. And it'd be a lot of work, and your arms wouldn't work. By the time you got to like 470, he'd be like, and, and, and these guys are, 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 are fighting out. Now listen, we can't discount the supernatural. Every one of these events, and it's going to say, and it's going to record a couple times, that, that God was with them. And it's a picture for you and I. And these mighty men of David who did battle next to with their king, at times alone, at times with David on their side, David is their Jesus. David is our Jesus. David is a, is a picture, is a type of Jesus as we battle together. And again, at the end of David's life, when he, when he calls himself not a warrior, but the sweet psalmist of Israel, when he understands that it's these men, it's, it's the collective group together that God put together around King David that made him great, that made him successful. And David got to wear the crowns, but, but, but these, these men did the work. And again, in the local church, in the body of Christ worldwide, everybody has a different part. But it's these unspoken um, men and women like, like you and like me who, who, who have opportunities to pray. You know, Billy Graham would say that, that there's some grandma who has the ministry of praying for a grandchild who, who's, who's way more faithful at that than what he has been to his ministry. And that her reward is, is all the much greater because God bases rewards on faithfulness, not on calling. But, 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 but these men who, who, who gathered around, who loved their king, who were going to die with him or live with him, these same 600 men when they first started, do you guys remember? The Bible says we made a big deal of it. The Bible says they were in debt, distressed, and um, what's the last word? Dis, discomforted? Discontented. They were, they were in stress, they were in debt, and they were discontented. They were the outcasts of society just like you and I when we came to Christ. 
outcasts, problems, and we came to, to Christ, and through our king, he began to put our lives together. He began to, to teach us and train us for battle. He prepared our hands for, for battle and our fingers for war. And, 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 God, and David trains these men how to fight. He instills in them a faith in a God as, as they watch and they're inspired by a young man who fights a giant based on the, the, the power of God. And, and real stories of men who stood and fought with their king. And, and the real heroes of the story. The real heroes, you know, and again, like I said, in, in, in every setting, in every victory, there, there's, there's those that, that get to go down as David did and, and collect a crown. And then there's those who actually did the work. And oftentimes those lines are blurred, but in God's eyes, they're not. In God's economy, they're not. And no matter where God has called you, no matter where God is, has, has, has lined you up in the fight, your job is not to worry about the impossible task in front of you. Your job is not to worry about where God put you in the lineup. Your job is to hold the ground that God has given you, to take new ground. Your job is to, is to be faithful to, to the call of God, be faithful to, to fight these battles and know that it's not in your strength anyways. And as soon as you get in the way and as soon as you think I can't and I don't, I'm not gifted or I'm not skilled or I'm not allowed or I'm not, you know, then, then that's going to be your victory which is you're not going to have one. And your faith often, oftentimes di- di- dictates your victory. And so, so these guys just showed up. They stepped out. And, and these stories, again, supernatural, every one of them. And it says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, or Dudu. That's actually a nickname for David in Israel, um, Dudu. And tell him, uh, that's not a good name in the United States, Dudu. That's how, unfortunately, what anybody's ever going to remember about Eleazar, the son of Dudu. But listen, this is an amazing story. The Athai, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defeated the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. And he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. So how many many, um, of the Israelites stuck around to fight? Read verse 8 and 9. I'm sorry, 9 and 10. It says in verse 9, it says, The Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. And he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord had brought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. So one guy stayed. The rest were afraid. And the one guy stayed and he fought for so long defending that, that his hand, the Bible says, clung to his sword. There are stories of this, of battle, Braveheart type of battles where, 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 where you, you, you hold your sword so long that, that your hand can't, won't come off of it. I actually experienced this. I, I was um, living and working in my college days um, in Alaska the summers. I did it for a couple years. And one of the one of the my first summer in Alaska, I worked on a slime line. I eventually got a better job, but um, I started on the slime line. And so it was 16 hour days and we'd usually work between 14 and 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And, um, you know, everybody says, oh, you can go to Alaska and make make all this big, crazy money. What you can, but they paid you like a little better than minimum wage. 
But by Wednesday at noon, I was at 40 hours. So I was on time and a half by, by 1 o'clock on Wednesday. And then by um, Saturday, I was on double time. But So it was good money for a kid as a summer. But what I did was we, we processed about a million pounds of salmon um, a day. And, and so they, they would have this thing was called a slime line. And so it was all Filipinos. I was the only white guy on the thing. The, the boss... He was from Bakersfield, and he lived in a Filipino community. And what the company was called, Peter Pan, and what they did was they had the different bosses of the different areas let them recruit a lot of their own people. So this guy recruited all Filipinos. It was funny because in the time I had no idea, and I didn't know, and I didn't know anything about it really at the time. But the, the foreman of the canning area was a woman from Salt Lake City who was LDS as they come, and she recruited all Mormons from Salt Lake City. And I didn't know, you know, I had no connection at, at that time. But I was a Christian, and I remember sharing um, with her. You know, one of the things, this is, uh, and I told this story. It's been a while. I forgot. It just this came to my mind. So now you guys got to gotta bear with me for a minute. You got to let me rabbit trail here for a minute. Um, I can remember all summer, her and I went back and forth about the difference between the gospel and what she believed. And, you know, it was my first real experience, you know, kind of debating and talking about these issues with somebody's LDS. And at the end of the summer, and, I, and, I, and always, just the way I talk, right? And I didn't do it on purpose necessarily, but I, I say, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, in the Bible, the Bible says. I can remember Lydia, you know, at work, she was telling me one day that one of her friends at work, one of her LDS friends said, to the same effect, you always say, the Bible says, the Bible says, and Lydia's like, oh, it's such a compliment, you know, like, but just in conversation, the Bible says, the Bible says. Well, I went all month, all summer, you know, four months of, of, of back and forth with, with her in good, in good ways, mostly good conversations, but lots of conversations over the time we spent there. And at the end of it, it was August, or the end of August, she looked at me and she said, dude, it's just a book. And I was so crushed. And it was, again, it was the first experience. But that's what she was feeling the whole time. But she got so tired of me arguing from and talking from the scriptures and from the Bible, what was really what was in her heart, and it made a big impression on me at the time. You know, she said, dude, it's just a book. Because she didn't really believe in her heart of hearts it was the word of God. So anyways, what I, what I did on the slime line, seriously, this is how it works. There's, there's, a, there's a pipes, and there's like seven, eight stations here. There's eight more there, eight more on the other side. And the, the, the salmon go through this big machine. The machine does all the cleaning for itself. There's a laser, and you have guys, and they just take them, and they just set the gills right by the laser, and they go through, and, and the machine does everything. Then they come down, and they land on the slime line. And then there's guys in front of us, and they, they inspect them, and the machine invariably will miss about every third fish. It'll miss a little fin, a something, a this, a that, a sack. And so they take them, and they drop them on the, the line below, and then they let all the ones that need a little cleanup go by, and that's what the slime line guys do. And so you have this cold water that runs down on, on a cutting board, and you've got to have a super sharp knife. And so you grab the fish off the line, and it takes about three seconds per fish to figure out what needed to be finished on it, and then you drop it down. And so I'm just doing this all day. But this cold water is because you have to have water because if it's a blood sack or something, you got to be able to, you have to have water. So it just runs nonstop. No kidding. Every morning when I wake up, my hand was like this. And I couldn't open my fingers in the morning. That was all that to say Dodo couldn't take his hand off the sword. But um, I've experienced it. It was true. They say if you use hot water, it would take hot water. You got to soak in hot water. I don't remember doing that. But I just remember in the mornings when I woke up in the mornings, it just take me a few minutes before I get, and my hand would be stuck before I could open my hand. So, so Dodo, whose hand was stuck on his sword, Dudu, Dodo, what should we call him? I think it's actually pronounced Dudu, but 
We'll call it Dodo. So again, nobody stayed with him, and, and he, he fought for himself. Now, um, I think there's some practical application. I don't think we have to reach too far to say that, that in the Bible, because the Bible says that the word of God is a what? What do, we, what do we call the Bible? We call it a sword, right? It's your sword. The Bible says in Revelation that, that the sword of the Lord, is, or the sword, the word of the Lord is going to come out of Jesus' mouth. I've seen pictures of Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon, and he's on that white horse, and he's got his mouth open, and a picture of a sword is coming out of his mouth. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a picture. And the Bible calls this our sword. You know, oftentimes you'll hear in Christian lingo, you know, you have your sword, or I have my sword. And sometimes we'll say, we take our sword, and unfortunately, we can use it to cut people up with it. That's not the intention, but it is a sword. And, and for us to be clung to the sword um, as Dodo was his sword, to where, you know, it's, it's a part of our lives. And really, honestly, I, I've, I've said this again a million times, but it's so true. If you cling to the word of God, if you make the word of God a real part of your life, the Bible promises that if you meditate on the word of God in the morning and at night and you're careful to do all that's in it, then you will be prosperous and have good success. And, and so it's, the, you know, clinging to the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, you can write that next to there. It says the word of God is living and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to um, divide the bone and marrow. It's got to be pretty sharp if it can go in the bone and divide the bone from the marrow. But the word of God is that sharp, and it's a sword, and we want to keep it um, with us. And then it says, um, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herathite, Herite, the Philistine had gathered together in a troop where he was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field to defend it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now underline that, the Lord brought about a great victory. I think I let, oh, I read it again. Listen, verse um, 12, and then and I meant to highlight it, but I forgot. Verse 10, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Y-H-V-H, the Tetragrammaton. Whenever you see that in the Bible, that's, that's the name of God, unpronounceable name of God. But the Lord brought about a great victory in verse 10. And then here in verse um, 12, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, I want to talk specifically about um, this, this next guy, Shammah, because in First Chronicles, it adds a little bit more detail. And they were in a field, a barley field, and, and David stood next to him. And the two of them stood and fought, and this guy stood next to his king. And his king didn't leave him. And in, in this battle, in First Chronicles, we, we get that little detail that's not mentioned here, that David fought next to him. And this guy's like, I'm going to either live or die with my king, but I'm going to stay and fight. And they fought over this. And again, you know, another situation, and these are the mighty men of David who, who are the top three and those who attain to the to some, but not to the top, and these level and these ranks that the Bible is in here, to these mighty men of David, these mighty men of valor who their deeds are going to go down in all of history, and God is recording. And this particular guy stood next to David in a barley field when the Philistines came and when everybody else ran. And when everybody else ran, he stayed and he fought with his king because he loved his king. He trusted his king. He, he, he was trained by his king. He, 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 he was inspired by his king. You know, they lived life with David. They, they did life with David. You guys remember in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, one of those just moving stories at, at Ziklag? 
when, when David and the men went down to fight and the Philistine army rejected him and the one king wanted him to come and fight and the other four kings said, no, nah, we don't trust him. They can't fight with us. And David heads back to Ziklag where, where he was kind of posted up running from Saul and the Amalekites had came through and, and, and burned the village and, and took all their stuff and took their wives and their children and fled. And David, these same men come back and it says when they, when they lifted up their voices to weep and could not weep anymore, and the Bible doesn't exaggerate. These, these mighty men of God who we see in these stories were real, real, brave, fighting men who killed 800 men at once, 300 men in a battle. When everybody else fled, they didn't run. And the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel 30 that, that they, they wanted to kill David. They, they, were so, um, they were so to their wits end. So they had done life with their king. And they experienced highs, 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 lows, lows, lows. But in this, in this story, Shammah stands with David and the two of them defend this barley field. You know, the, the reality is, what was important about that barley field? Not too much. Just a field, a field of wheat. They, well, you know, when, when this battle took off and everybody started running because, they, the, the, because the, the odds were impossible, why do you think the other men ran? Because the slaughter was easy and the battle, the battle for the Lord in your life, in my life, was easy? Is the battle for, for anybody's life, is a battle in your life for the Lord, is it easy? It's never easy, right? It's not supposed to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But you know what? You're never going to have an opportunity to be listed in the mighty men of David and the mighty men of Jesus if we don't face some impossible odds. And it's not our problem that the odds are impossible. It's God's problem. But these men, these men get their names recorded do you, do you tell me, answer me this. Name one of the guys, just one of the men in these stories so far who ran. Anybody? Can you go find it for me somewhere in the Bible? They're not mentioned. Their name's Fart in the Wind. I said Fart in Church. <laughs> That's twice. On last Sunday, I said Fart in Church, and uh, somebody afterwards was like, Really worried about, worried for me. They're like, I hope you didn't offend a bunch of people, but I think it's okay. They're like, the way you used it and the context you use it, I think it'll be cool. Like, <laughs> I was like, they were really, really concerned for me because I said fart in church, but um, now twice. Oh, I got to be careful, but um, <laughs> oh, I just got to tell you, <laughs> I, I bought Gabrielle a fart machine. <laughs> Oh, it's great. I put it in my back pocket, and we go, and she has the button, you know. And uh, so I tell her, I said, don't show him the button. Just hide it and push it when we go in there. So she walks in, and she doesn't, so she points it at him and starts pushing it. It starts farting, and she thinks it's so funny. We have so much fun with it. Uh, so if we come to your house, be careful, because Gabrielle might be armed with our, our fart machine. But um, So... All right, there was something actually I was saying. Um, the, the, the men ran, and those that ran, they, they, their names are not mentioned. But listen, it, again, again, life can be hard. Ministry can be hard. Serving the Lord can be hard. You know, oftentimes, again, this is a concept that we talk about. Like, we, we, um, we ask God to give us faith stories, right? And faith stories are hard. Faith stories are, I'm standing at the edge of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is barreling down. If God doesn't show up and do a miracle, I'm going to die. 
And listen, in every one of these stories, you guys, and in some it's mentioned, but, but it's, it's true in every one, whether it's mentioned or not. It says the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord brought about a great victory. It's God who shows up and does something miraculous. But we have to show up in faith, step out in faith. And so this guy who loves his king, he stays, and the two of them defend the barley field. And yes, it's true. The barley field was not a big deal. It wasn't. It was, it was just a field. They could have given it to the Philistines and lived to fight another day. Why, why risk your lives for an insignificant barley field? And I think in that is that, is that in life, there, there are times where it belongs to the Lord and we're going we're gonna to stand by it. It belongs to the Lord, so we're going to fight for it. And when we lose a bunch of little victories in our lives, we eventually, right, they say that it's not, it's the little, little, the little battles that make the war. And you lose the battle but win the war. But if you lose too many battles, you're going to lose the war. And if you make too many compromises in your Christian life, you're, you're going to lose the war. And sometimes there's, there's a barley field in your life that you just got to stand and hold. And the more bar- those barley fields in your life that you stand and hold, the, 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 the better chance it is you're going to win the big war. So what are the little barley fields in your life? The kind of TV programs you choose to watch? Whether you, you know, how much you decide is, is, is lawful for you to drink? whether you, you know, where you go, who you hang out with, what are the little things that we compromise on? Little, little trash in, a little trash out, you know? And, and so again, I, I never, I always want to be careful that I, I'm not your Holy Spirit and I don't tell you what's Christian to watch on TV and what's not. That's not my place. That's the Holy Spirit's place in your life. I never want to tell you what's lawful for you, what's, what's godly for you, how much to drink, how much not to drink. That's between you and the Lord. And all those things are, are, are between you and God. But, but definitely, here's what I always say. Tithing is, is a good example. People ask me all the time about different intricacies of, of giving and tithing. You know, it's tax return season. Do I have to tithe on my tax return season, and, and on my tax return? And my, my answer is always the same. What did, what did God say? What did, what did God tell you about that area of your life? Do that. And, and, and spend some time in prayer and ask God what he wants you to do over the, the things that you, you watch, the things that you entertain yourself with, the things that the little barley fields in your life. And, and, and listen, we do want to be careful, right? We don't want to become self-righteous. It's, it's what the Pharisees were. We're we, we have to be on our guard from legalism and self-righteousness. So if God tells you, and it's not black and white, and I think TV and movies are, are a great example of that, that a certain movie or something is something that God doesn't want you to be a part of or doesn't want you to watch. It's a barley field in your life. He wants you to guard and protect and means you're not going to go to that R-rated show. You're not going to do that certain thing. But if your friend, your friend who's a Christian does go to the show, it's, it's hypocrisy. It's self-righteousness. If you, you know, you think, oh, I don't, I don't smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do. You know, and if we relate to God based on legalism, if we relate to God based on the fact that we don't go to shows and we don't chew and smoke and those kind of things, then, then we become self-righteous and legalistic. Listen, let the Holy Spirit speak to that person about, about, black, about gray issues. Black and white issues, no thing. If you're having sex outside of marriage, that's a sin. If you're, if you're getting drunk, that's a sin. If you're watching pornography, that's a sin. Like black and white, you know, we, we can be dogmatic about it. But in, in other areas, we don't, we don't want to do that. All right, so that's, that's um, I don't want to lose sight of David's mighty men. Are we not going to finish 24 today? We're not, huh? No way. Okay, and we got communion. Um, worship team, you guys want to come up and close us in a song? Um, what's that? Too many rabbits. Yeah, probably. Um, where are we at?
Let's let's go. Let's go 13. Then three three of the 30 chief men went down to harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. We got to get this one. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the stronghold of the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing that someone would give him a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So David was, was from the area of Bethlehem. It's where David grew up. And um, so, so in that, he, you know, when he was a boy, they would hang out at the well of Bethlehem. And he said, man, that well is awesome. It has water year round. And I can't believe that the Philistines have, have taken this area. And he's kind of talking out loud and thinking out loud. And, and so in this story, as they're on the other side and the, 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 um, the well is, is in um, a Philistine stronghold in this point. And as David is talking, three of his men, because of their great love for their king, because of, of their desire to serve David, they don't tell him, they don't, you know. But he, here's the thing that I think, you know, a couple things in this as we wrap up. These people were close enough to the king that they could hear his heart. You got to be close enough to God that you can hear his heart. That comes, listen, um, a, a lot of communication that God wants to do with us comes through, obviously, through the word of God. Number one way God speaks to me is through the word. But, but as important is through worship, and, and, and prayer and, and, and praise. You know, we, we, we studied Martha, who Martha had more revelation than the other um, disciples over Jesus' death. But Martha was a woman who had a reputation for being at Jesus' feet in prayer and praise and worship. And it's during that time, we stress that all the time, that God brings revelation and that God brings healing. And these guys were close enough to David to know his heart and hear his heart. So these three guys, they, they go and they fight and they kill and they battle and they dig tunnels and they, they get up into the city and they go to the well and, they, and, the, and the three men have to fight off the Philistines and they go and they get water from the well of Bethlehem. What an amazing feat, right, and story of love and of, and, of, and of respect and admiration for the king. And then the three men come and they bring David this water from the well of Bethlehem. And they say, David, your heart longed for this water. And here we went and got it for you. And David takes the water. Yeah, and his heart is broken. And he said, Lord, how could I do this? These, this, these men have risked their lives to bring me this water. How, how could I um, one-up them? How could I, you know, um, drink this water? It would, just wouldn't be right. And, and so he pours the water out to the Lord. And he offers it to the Lord. And he says, these men risked their lives for it. And, and the, you know, and he didn't in that in that moment see himself as better or above these men. He saw himself as alongside of them and as one of them. And, and so because of his humility and his, and his sincerity, he wouldn't drink the water. He pours it out. And that's how this this little story ends up. Amen. Um, as we know, you guys, David was a man of uh, of repentance. David was a man who who was flawed, um, very flawed. We didn't get to chapter 24 where we're going to see his last and final Great act. David's going to go out with a boom um, in, in his final just complete rebellion against God one last time. Why not? He's dying. And so um, we'll see that next week. But David still is a man after God's heart. He's a man who's recorded for you and I that's somebody that we look up to, that we want to be like. That he, he was somebody who, um, you know, part of the reason why the men of Israel and why these mighty men um, in so many cases why they did the things they did for David and why they, 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 they had the strength they had to fight for their king 
was because the, one of the things that they knew and understand about David was that David knew God. No doubt in their mind that David knew God personally and intimately. You know, and in Israel as, as, as a whole, really, even throughout all of Old Testament history, we, we have a lot of, the, we get the inside scoop to a lot of the lives that God was, was a part of. But, but there was a big factor of Israel through their history that was religious according to the law. And they knew a lot about God, but, but not because the Holy Spirit wasn't in each one of their hearts like he is in our hearts and lives. It was a little bit different. And there was these special individuals that, that, that really knew God intimately in person. And they knew that David knew God. And they followed him. And David's heart, when, when he sinned, it wasn't phony. It wasn't fake. He really was broken. He made a mistake and he wanted to get right with God. And he teaches us Psalm 51. We've been over it, right? The heart of true repentance. And, and part of as we receive the Lord's table, communion, is it's just that. It's just, just to get right with the Lord. So we get one song. So I'm going to encourage you guys to come up, take it back to your seat, spend one song with the Lord intimately, personally. Um, listen. Maybe God wants to speak something to you. Maybe there is something heavy on your heart you need to get right. Maybe you, you need to just say yes to Jesus in your life, and you use this time to say yes to Jesus and, and, and say yes to Jesus' plan for your life and make um, a full surrender of your life to God. You can do that during communion. You can receive that. And there's no reason why anybody shouldn't take communion. You, you receive that and you, you commit your life and make a full commitment of your life to God. And then, and then use this as a time just to you get three, four minutes. And, and you know, here's, here's what I hope and pray for you. What I'm going to ask is just that you, you would listen and that God would speak to you something during the next four minutes. Something on your heart. God would press something on you. God would show you something. If there, again, if there's something in your, in your life that's sin, just ask God to forgive you. Tell him to help you not to do it anymore. Ask him to give you strength to overcome that area of your life. And that's something you want to you change from. You want to do better. You need his help. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we praise you. We give you glory and honor, Lord. God, as we get ready to receive from the Lord's table. And Lord, we, we, we unfortunately, we just have this one song, Lord, to, to really spend this time with you. But Lord, I pray that it would be a, a powerful and an intimate three, four minutes. Lord, that we would repent of our sins. God, that we would listen for your voice. God, that we would worship and praise you. And as always, Lord, we, we do this in remembrance of you because of the great price, Jesus, that you paid on the cross for our sins. And God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys, come on up.